0: Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya <coughs> Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya vasudevaya So we're on this rather long chapter uh, the chanting of the song sung by Lord Shiva, otherwise known as what in Sanskrit? Rudra-gita. Very good. Excellent. And right now we're not up to that yet, but rather, whoops, I went too far, but rather we are um, discussing how the prachetas met Lord Shiva, right? Because they had to meet him first before they could hear his prayers to the Lord. <clears throat> So uh, we did. We gave a little overview of the, of the prayers last week, and uh, we'll hopefully get to them. I know I was a little, um, what's the word, optimistic in the list of verses that I asked you to read <laughs> for this week, because there was a lot of them, uh, and to the end of the chapter, we'll see how far, because we still have three verses, <clears throat> three purports, rather, from last week's assignment. <laughs> so we're on text 15. Is that right, Jiva Tatva Okay, if he says so, that must be right. When all the sons of Prachinibarhi left home to execute austerities, they met Lord Shiva, who, out of great mercy, instructed them about the absolute truth. All the sons of Prachinibarhi meditated upon the instructions, chanting and worshipping them with great care and attention. And Prabhupada writes that this is the secret of success. If you heard that, wouldn't that perk your ears up? This is the secret of success. After being initiated and receiving the orders of the spiritual master, the disciple should unhesitatingly think about the instructions or orders of the spiritual master and not allow himself to be disturbed by anything else. This is also the verdict of Srila Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, who, while explaining a verse in Bhagavad Gita, Bhjavasaya Mika here a.k.a. kurunandana," that is Bhagavad Gita, what is that verse? Chapter 2, 41, points out that the orders of the spiritual master is the life substance of the disciple. Disciples should not consider whether he is going back home, back to Godhead. His first business should be to execute the orders of his spiritual master. Thus the disciples should always meditate on the order of the spiritual master and that is perfectional meditation. Not only should he meditate on that order but he should find out the means by which he can perfectly worship and execute it. So of course we know that this this practically personifies Srila Prabhupada. (laughs) I mean, you know, he got the order to uh, speak in the uh, teach Krishna consciousness in the Western world, and boy did he do it! Um, and it's amazing how <clears throat> this purport, what we just read, is so exactly what Vishenav Chakravarti said. I'll read the, the English to the translation of Vishenav Chakravarti Tarkar's comments. He says, "Of all intelligence, because the word buddhi, amika buddhi, is mentioned in the Sanskrit, the best intelligence is focused on Bhakti Yoga." In Bhakti Yoga, one's intelligence becomes single-pointed or fixed in determination. One thinks, quote, the instructions of my spiritual master to worship the personality of Godhead by chanting, remembering, serving his feet, and so on are my only sadhana. What does sadhana mean? Practice. My only sadhya. What does that mean? What? Goal. Yes, yeah, sadhya. Yes. Yeah. So sadhana is a practice. Sadhya is a goal. My only sadhya, my only livelihood. I am incapable of giving up these instructions either in the stage of practice, sadhana, or in the stage of perfection. That could be either bhava or prema. <clears throat> they alone are my object of desire and my only responsibility. Besides them, I can desire no other responsibility, not even in my dreams. It is all the same to me whether I feel happy or unhappy or whether my material existence is eradicated or not. Yes. Uh, so you. Okay. We, didn't, we don't need a mic for this. He says, where is that found? It's uh, Vishnu Chakravarti, many of the acharyas have written commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita. Um, Tikka, tikas they called. So this is from uh, one of the great acharyas, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, his comment on the Bhagavad Gita. Okay? <clears throat> so, it's interesting because we're going to talk in, uh, if we get to it today, yeah we should, in verse 36 about the mind and all the nature of the mind. And in one sense, this... Is the way to control the mind, is that one is so fixed in seva, so fixed in service, so fixed in the instructions of the spiritual master and Krishna, that one doesn't allow the mind to go hither and thither. And of course, that takes a lot of practice and a lot of mercy to get to that stage. But that's uh, kind of what's. We will we'll see. We'll, we'll go back to this perhaps, or remind me to go back to this when we get to verse 36, <clears throat> because there's a connection there. Because here, basically, he's saying because uh, Krishna says manmana baba Madbhakta always think of me right? or smartavya satatam Vishnu always think of Krishna never forget him and here's the practical means to do that <clears throat> to focus on the instructions of the spiritual master and here of course it's totally connected to what Krishna says because here Vishnu Naktaraka Bharati Thakur is saying <clears throat> the instructions of my spiritual master to worship Krishna by chanting remembering serving his feet etc. Any thoughts on this verse? and this point? Yes, Mahamantra Prabhu, microphone.
1: Uh, I feel it's very true, Prabhu, because all the instructions of the spiritual masters will be in such a way that we always engage in Krishna's service. So naturally we remember Krishna all the time.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that was was even one of Prabhupada's ideas about book distribution is that when you're distributing books, you're always talking about what's in the books. So you're always talking about Krishna. We didn't always follow that in the early days, but uh, I think we're doing better now. <clears throat> yes. Then the question might come up, well, what What if I haven't received any specific instructions from the spiritual master, my spiritual master? Because um, not everyone has that personal relationship. Even Srila Prabhupada's disciples, 5% maybe? I can't know, but not, hardly any of them, you know, got to see him like Tamal Krishnamaraj did or Gopal Krishnamaraj or et cetera. Um, so what about that? Well... <clears throat> there's, we, we get the instructions every time we open up one of Śrīla Prabhupāda's books. Right? And also, what Prabhupāda said, although this may not, I uh, hope this doesn't sound self-serving, but at least traditionally in ISKCON, there was also coming down through the governing body commissioner, through the temple president, etc., in terms of practical application. Um, <clears throat> so there's also the spiritual master's representatives. And Prabhupada would often say that. He'd, he'd often say, well, you know, you don't have to ask all the questions to me. You know, don't you have Rupanuga Prabhu as your president, as your GBC or Satsrut Maharaj or this or that person like that. So anything else on this? Okay. Then we'll continue and we'll read the next four verses before we get to verse 20. So Vidura asks Maitreya, he said, well, how did they, how did they meet, right? He says, my dear Brahmana to Maitreya, uh, why did the Prachetas meet Lord Shiva on the way? You know, uh, please tell me how the meeting happened, how Lord Shiva became very pleased with them and how he instructed them. Certainly such talks are important, and I wish to—I wish that you uh, please be merciful unto me and describe them. Prabhupada writes in the purport, the first sentence, that whenever there are some important talks between a devotee and the Lord or between exalted devotees, one should be very curious to hear them. The great sage, uh, Vidura, continued, O oh, Best of Brahmanas, it is very difficult for living entities engaged within this material world to have personal contact with Lord Shiva. Even great sages who have no material attachments do not contact him, despite they're always being absorbed in meditation to attain his personal contact. So it's not an automatic thing. Lord Shiva, the most powerful demigod, second only to Lord Vishnu, is self-sufficient. Although he has nothing to aspire for in the material world, for the benefit of those in the material world, he is always busily engaged in everywhere, and is accompanied by his dangerous energies like Goddess Kali and Goddess Durga. Prabhupada writes in the purport that great wars are symbolic representatives, representations of Kali's devastation of the Asuras and are actually conducted by the Goddess Kali. Um, and he also writes that thus Lord, Shiva, Lord Vishnu gives intelligence to his devotees so that the devotee can make progress on the path back home, back to Godhead. Such, since a devotee has nothing to do with any kind of material possession, he does not come under the control of Goddess Kali or the Goddess Durga. No problem. We're just starting. The great sage Maitreya continued, "My dear Vidura, because of their pious nature, all the sons of barhi very seriously accepted the words of their father with heart and soul, and with these words on their head, they went towards the west to execute their father's order." How many of you have children? Do your children follow you just like uh, the Prachetas follow Barhi? Uh, some days. Some days. <laughs> really? That's, that's rare. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, while traveling, the Prachetas happened to see a great reservoir of water which seemed almost as big as the ocean. The water of this lake was so calm and quiet that it seemed like the mind of a great soul. And its inhabitants, the aquatics, appeared very peaceful and happy to be under the protection of such a watery reservoir. So we're very fortunate to have uh, His Holiness Bhaktivinod Maharaj join us. Deitya, please have a seat. And uh, we did this before, didn't we, Maharaj? Did we do this, this class before together? Okay, it's very uh, informal in the sense that um, I have a few things that I plan to speak and then I'll just say, what are your thoughts on it? So there's no preparation needed there. Um... I won't comment on, that. <laughs> and these devotees here um sometimes usually some more come as it as the uh, class goes on, but they've been doing this for like four years together <laughs> because we're up to the um fourth canto so That's it's right. the it's the uh, uh Rudra-gita. and uh right now the prachetas are just have just run into Lord Shiva at the mercy of the lord and I'm going to read uh, a little part of the purport and ask you to Uh, see if you have some thoughts about the calm mind of a devotee. So Prabhupada writes, A devotee's mind is always calm, quiet, and desireless, because he is always anyabilashitasunyam, having no desire other than to serve Krishna as his personal servant, friend, father, mother, or conjugal lover. Due to his association with Krishna, a devotee is always calm and cool, It is also significant that within that reservoir all the aquatics were also very calm and quiet. Because the disciples of a devotee have taken shelter of a great soul, they become very calm and quiet and not agitated by the waves of the material world. I guess we'll read this other because it quotes this verse that's so connected. Those who are fixed in the service of the Lord are not agitated by anything. Therefore, whoever takes shelter of a great soul or a great devotee becomes pacified. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is stead, stated, anyone know what the verse we're going to come up with? About only a devotee being calm? Um, Krishna Bhakta Nishkam Atta Eva shanta. And then, does anyone know the Bhukti Mukti Siddhi? Amen. Very good. Uh, a devotee of Lord Krishna is always peaceful because, because he has no desire, whereas the yogis, karmis, and ganis have so many desires to fulfill. One may argue that devotees have desires for they wish to go back home back to Godhead, but such a de- Desire does not agitate the mind. So some thoughts, Maharaj, on calm and cool and peaceful, like, like you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I may be looking very calm and cool. Is
0: it? Uh, is it on? Oh, it's on. on, it's on. Okay,
2: good. Okay. Pull a little closer if you want. Yeah. <clears throat> well, comment about uh, all the disciples of the Guru who is calm and peaceful will also be peaceful and calm. I don't think it means in the material sense, calm and peaceful. Uh, Obviously, Prabhupada's, all his disciples, taking it for granted that Prabhupada is placid, like the lake, calm, peaceful. It's not that uh, we can literally translate it into saying that all of his disciples were very calm, peaceful, if you look at it in the material sense. Mm -hmm. You can actually Maybe say that they were calm and peaceful because they were engaged in the devotional service of the Lord, understanding it differently. I think the connotation calm and peaceful needs some explanation. Uh. I don't think I'm very calm and peaceful with a lot of responsibilities <laughs> to the institution, the uh, activities that we do. Anybody who's going out to preach and challenge a material realm is not going to be given a peaceful, calm situation in the world. <laughs> I and mean, let's face it. Uh, so I obviously think some exotic meaning here, calm, uh-huh. peaceful, it's not. And uh, yeah, some thoughts for him.
0: Yeah, and one thing that came to mind as you're speaking, and by the way, I don't know if you know Mother Ramburu, we're very happy to have here. She's a senior disciple of Srila Prabhupada's, a scholar in her own right. Um, is devotees would, of course, I didn't have the opportunity, maybe Mother Ramburu did, of uh, sometimes Prabhupada could get very angry, even upset about something. And unlike us, like even in, in my, what I do in my trainings, in my job, talk about how, uh, how when people are very emotional, they're not thinking very clearly, and it takes some time to calm down again and get back into what they say, the neocortex, you know. Um, but Srila Prabhupada could like be very strong with a devotee, chastise them if they did something wrong or to try to help them in their Krishna consciousness. But then the next second. So in other words, when we when it happens to us lots of times it's kind of like the influence of the modes of nature. But for Prabhupada it was only service. So he, he manifests something, but then after Shanti you know, he it didn't he didn't the lower modes didn't have to wear off for him because he was never in them. Does that make sense? Did you ever see that? The microphone?
3: Yeah. I've read uh, anecdotes, you know, like uh, one, there was one experience with Kausalya, and I don't know if it was Yamuna or Malati, but they had, they were in India, and they had made this announcement or poster or something advertising an event, and they had forgotten to say A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami or ISKCON or something, and when he saw it, he was livid, like you didn't say, that da, da 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 and he, yell, he was just yelling at them, and they were so upset that when they were left they were crying and a few minutes later they saw him and he was telling them what wonderful devotees they were and <laughs> thank you so much for endeavoring and you know. He understood they were deeply wounded. <laughs>
0: so. mm. He actually did it once with a uh attorney, Devi. Uh, he had gotten really strong about them, about their sadhana, about associating with some people who weren't maybe the best association. And uh, Prabhupada thought maybe he had been done too much, so afterwards he calls Jagadguruni back in the room. He takes off his ring and he gives his ring to her.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what do they say? Uh, hard like a thunderbolt, yeah. and soft as a rose. Uh, I remember uh, one devotee telling me that he, Prabhupada it was only like fifteen percent thunderbolt, but fifteen percent's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So shall we go on? Any questions or comments on this? Jagatwini uh, got the ring? Jagatrini Mataji. Yeah. She, yes. Rings and yeah, jewelry were something that um, Puri Jan Prabhu and Jagatwini gave, gave him once a ring that said Jai Iskan. And another time a, a very wealthy uh, person in Hong Kong gave, gave Puri Jan Prabhu a gold bracelet to give to Prabhupada. They gave it to Prabhupada and Prabhupada said, is this not for women? But, but out of affection for this person, he, he put it on. There's even pictures of Prabhupada on the, uh, what are they called? The, the, the white, true. yeah, you know. And he's leaning back in, ba- in, Mumbai, in Mumbai, Bombay. And then you he see he had it on for a few days. <laughs> Anything else on was, calm?
2: Was Arjuna calm and peaceful while fighting the war?
0: That's, what do you think? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was calm and peaceful while fighting the war?
3: Yeah, I'm thinking like when you question, maybe after after listening to the Gita, maybe it helped him? <laughs> I think he was furious. I think, he fought. I, th- I think Arjuna, if you read the Mahabharata, after the Bhagavad Gita, he was furious, particularly when Abhimanyu was murdered. He was really using his grief in his anger and uh, that gave him lots of success.
0: <laughs> yes, Ogunanavu.
4: Also, he was not happy about fighting with Bhishma even after that. He was still not fighting to his full potential. Krishna was still asking him, you are not still doing it full because you are still holding back and Bhishma is not going to hold back for you.
0: Now, The question is, is that because of Krishna's preaching or because of his attachment to family?
4: He was still not uh, looking forward to it, to killing Bhishma. Because he knows that he has to fight him and he has to kill him. So he was still troubled
0: about that. What do you think Maharaj?
2: Yeah, obviously. I think it would be a little too artificial to say that he was not having those feelings. He was totally renounced. He did feel very much when Abhimanyu passed away. He did feel very much when five sons of Draupadi were killed by Ashwatthama. He was raging and then he and... Krishna together chased Ashwatthama. All this, I mean, the, the, the moot question here is, does a devotee remain calm and peaceful in serving Krishna? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to say calm and peaceful?
0: <laughs> well, of course, Prabhupada was, you know, speaking specifically because of the verse, right? <clears throat> and the verse was, while traveling the Prichetas happened to see a great reservoir of water, which seemed almost as big as the ocean. The water of this lake was so calm and quiet That it seemed like the mind of a great soul, and its inhabitants, the aquatics, appeared very peaceful and happy to be under the protection of such a watery reservoir. So he was, you know. And but I guess it's interesting that yeah. What does it mean? Because you know, Krishna bhakta nishkam. Any devotee, even in the midst of a war, can can be in that sense nishkam, and
2: therefore. Ah, I think that's what it is. When we're actively doing some service, maybe in the world, we need to be in action. But normally, in a meditative sense, people—I mean, devotees are very peaceful meditating on Krishna because they know they're sheltered by Krishna. Mm. Maybe that's what it means.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yes, Jiva? We only have one microphone today. So you get some exercise.
5: Hare Krishna. So again, when it came to his being deluded, previously he was feeling emotions and not sure about what his duty is. So he became the instructions, so he understood what his duty is. Now, during carrying out his duty as a Kshatriya required him to engage his anger in his service of fighting. So those are the activities, but when it came to what his duty is, he was calm. He understood what his duty is, and he was executing it out. Hmm. And now he's trying to do like duty, and of course there can be some anxiety when carrying out duty. And there may be different levels as different you know, realizations are. And that's where we see him agitated, anxiety, grieving. And the lesson continued much beyond Kurukshetra war. You know, the Brahmana's sons and all those events later on, it continued. Thank
0: you. It also reminds me of that saying Shil probably said that we should be like a lion on the chase and a lamb at home. And I like to joke that sometimes we do it the other way around. <laughs> We're timid in preaching and then we fight with each other like anything in the temple. <laughs> but anyway, that's... But...
3: I, I think uh, also, as you're talking about this, I came in late, so I don't know... No, oh, we get... just started. Oh, you did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the old days, we used to have uh, what's called transcendental anxiety, you know, and um, Prabhupada was pleased to see that we were anxious to, you know, get things done. I know when we had a flood here, everybody was in anxiety for the deities, and um, that was kind of a transcendental anxiety. It wasn't anxiety for ourselves as much as it was uh, for Krishna's care, uh, welfare. And in the Krishna book, there's so many places where Mother Shoda was anxious for Krishna and that was considered to be a, a transcendental meditation. Um, so th- I think it's kind of a, it depends on the object or the, the focus of the anxiety perhaps. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I mean this is a big topic and we do have to go on to other verses, but um, when you think about it, the shastras full of even great souls making mistakes and blunders. I mean, I just finished. Just doing a going through the sixth canto. I mean, Indra makes so many mistakes in the sixth canto. It's like it's like one after another. He can't stop. <laughs> you know, fighting. You know, the thing with D.T. and uh, you know, um, it. Just, you know, he just one after another. Uh, but he's a great soul. You know. So in one sense, uh, a lot of thing. A lot of people. Uh, people in the Bhagavatam, when they do things, they'd be banned from Aniskan Temple <laughs> today. We probably have to, you know, uh, Indra, we'd have to just allow him to come on Sundays (laughs) or something like that, (laughs) you know, uh, but it does kind of show the side-by-side great devotion and human frailty
2: in some ways, doesn't it? Prabhupada made a distinction, I think, somewhere between a great soul and a pure soul. Mm. He, I think, if I vaguely remember, in an answer to a question as to why Brahma got bewildered by, you know, something... And then he said Brahma is a great devotee. Mm. Interesting.
0: Yes. Yeah. So shall we go on? Because we have, uh, I really want to get to 36 today, if we can, because I prepared a whole thing on that. (laughs) Um, Text 21. So we'll read through this until 30. It may may highlight a few things. In that great lake, there were um, different types of lotus flowers. Some of them were bluish and some of them were red. Some of them grew at night and some in the day. And some, like the indivara, lotus flower in the evening. How nice is that, huh? Combined together, the lotus flowers filled the lake so full that the lake appeared to be a great mine of such flowers. Can you imagine, envision that, a lake full of lotuses? Consequently, on the shores, there were swans, cranes, Chakravaka, uh, Karandava, and other beautiful water birds standing about. There were various trees and creepers on all sides of the lake, and there were mad bumblebees humming all about them. The trees appeared to be very jolly due to the sweet humming of the bumblebees and the saffron which was contained in the lotus flowers was being thrown into the air. These all created such an atmosphere that it appeared as though a festival were taking place there. The sons of the king became very much amazed. Who were the sons of the king? Pray um, very, they were, became very much amazed when they heard vibrations of various drums and kettle drums along with other orderly musical sounds pleasing to the ear. The Prachetas were fortunate enough to see Lord Shiva, the chief of the demigods, emerging from the water. Imagine that, just kind of, Lord Shiva comes out of the water. He you goes you know, swimming at the pool and all of a sudden, Lord Shiva. <laughs> um, and his associate, so he wasn't by himself, he was with his associates. His bodily luster was just like molten gold his throat was bluish. He had three eyes, which looked very mercifully upon his devotees. He was accompanied by many musicians who were glorifying him. As soon as the Prachetas saw Lord Shiva, they immediately offered their obeisances in great amazement and fell down at the lotus feet of the Lord. Lord Shiva became very pleased with the Prachetas because generally Lord Shiva is a protector of pious persons and persons of gentle behavior. Being very much pleased with the princes, he began to speak as follows. Lord Shiva said, you are all the sons of King Prachinibarhi, and I wish all good fortune to you. I also know what you are going to do, and therefore I am visible to you just to show my mercy upon you. Lord Shiva continued, Any person who is surrendered to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna, the controller of everything, material nature, as well as the living entity, is actually very dear to me. A person who executes his occupational duty properly for 100 births becomes qualified to occupy the post of Lord Brahma, and if he becomes more qualified, he can approach Lord Shiva. A person who is directly surrendered to Lord Krishna or, or Vishnu in unalloyed devotional service is immediately promoted to the spiritual planets. Lord Shiva and other demigods, demigods attain these planets after the destruction of the material world. You are all devotees of the Lord, and as such I appreciate that you are as respectable as the Supreme Personality of God himself. I know in this way that the devotees also respect me and that I am dear to them. Thus, no one can be as dear to the devotees as I am. So, we'll hear a little bit and ask more to speak a little bit about uh, Shiva Tattva. Okay, Prabhupada writes Because Lord Shiva is a great devotee of the personality of Godhead, he loves all the devotees of the Supreme Lord. Lord Shiva told the Prachaitas that because they were devotees of the Lord, he loved them very much. Lord Shiva was not kind and merciful only to the Prachetas. Anyone who is a devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead is very dear to Lord Shiva. Not only are the devotees dear to Lord Shiva, but he respects them as much as he respects the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Similarly, devotees of the Supreme Lord also worship Lord Shiva as the most dear devotee of Lord Krishna. They do not worship him as a separate Personality of Godhead. It is stated in the list of Namaparads that it is an offense to think that chanting the Holy the name of Hari and the chanting of Hara or Shiva are the same. So, of course, this is a misconception that you must run into a little bit preaching in India. And uh, <laughs> what, what sh- anything to uh, illuminate us more on this idea of you know, Shiva Tattva, which is an you know, important thing for us to get, make sure we're clear on.
2: Well, I, I don't think lots of people go on chanting name of Shiva the way we do, chanting Krishna's names. But uh-huh. The Shivoham Shivoham is very common. Uh, and uh, as far as uh, worshipping Lord Shiva goes, very common all over India, and maybe a lot in South India. And you, we don't interfere much with. Uh, don't go headlong, but we do one thing these Sri Vaishnavas sometimes do is they don't visit any demigods' temples. That's they you know keep they won't turn around and see a demigod. Really, <laughs> some of them are so fanatic. But uh, the uh, other, I mean demigod worshippers at least, they sort of like devotees because we tend to land up in a Shiva temple, in a Skanda temple, in a Devi temple, and we do Harikirtan, uh-huh. dance and chant. So since anyway they are quite confused about who is really God, the polytheistic uh, exercise that they do. So they also join us and do Kirtan. <laughs> That's nice. what happens. That's the best thing. Uh, but the die-hard uh, Shivites, they can get a little argumentative and they can quote a lot of things from scriptures uh, and get into nitty-gritty stuff. Then maybe it's a little different. But generally speaking, many of the Shiva worshippers are not so deep in their understanding Mm -hmm. of absolute truth of God and things like that. So we don't have to worry so much. And Lord
0: Chaitanya visited demigod temples?
2: Yeah, plenty. All over South India. He danced in Kanyakumari in the Devi's temple. He visited uh, Shiva temples in many places.
0: And is there a way to pay obeisances to a deity yeah. of a
2: demigod that's different than Krishna? Yeah, yeah. What we normally do, we... Supreme Personality God, we keep him on our left. And demigods, we keep them on our right. Guru, we actually pay obeisances straight. Right. That's
0: a little hard here because on our
2: feet would be yeah. towards yeah. yeah.
0: In Vrindavan, it's okay. In Vrindavan, we can do, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but if you good?
2: pay businesses to the Lord, you'll show your feet to prop those
0: So, any thoughts on uh, Shiva Tatva? Yes, uh, microphone for Andy. Oh, I got it turned on, I guess. It's working now.
6: Yeah, I've been thinking about this case of Lord Shiva, and I think the one defining thing is that he's completely independent. Like there's stories we've read in the Bhagavatam of the demigods; they get afraid, they go running to Brahma. They go. <laughs> Shiva never does that. <laughs> he never does that. And, and I think we talk about um, free will. I think that's the measure of his power. He does what he wants. And so he's not a normal demigod for that reason. He stays independent.
0: Yes, Maharaj? Uh,
7: I would like to comment. Like the Basmasura story, Lord Shiva even ran away. He gave some boon to Basmasura and then like he wants to put his hand on the Shiva and he ran away there. So he also comes to the demigod category. That's
0: my point.
6: He might appear, but he doesn't run
0: and beg Krishna to save him. So <laughs> he figures
2: it out himself. <laughs> what do you think, Mark? He's a special demigod, is mentioned. That's why he's called Mahadeva. Yeah. <laughs> That's mentioned. And partly what he's saying is maybe very true, that uh, in most of the places you see that Shiva seemed to be an extremely tolerant and very stoic and sober person. But many of the demigods are not like that, especially Indra he's talking about. He's like, you know, wishy-washy. He does quite a few things, commendable, <laughs> uh, you know, problems he gets into. But Lord Shiva is known to be sober, dhira. Prabhupada mentions about that in Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavad also. He's very uh, sober. Uh, you'll see in that Sati episode, very sober. Mm. And then also when uh, uh, all Listen. the... Brahma will bring all the demigods and come to Lord Shiva and... Uh, what an amazing comment Lord Shiva makes when uh, Daksha gets a goat's head. Then Daksha and the demigods come to pacify Lord Shiva, along with Brahma. And uh, as soon as and Lord Shiva was with some sages and saints discussing Krishna in the forest, he was very sober after all this has happened. And as soon as he was approached, Lord Shiva said, "The demigods anyway are very childish. That's why I taught them a lesson by doing this once." He uses the word they're all kiddish. Uh-huh. So, so by that act you can see that he's quite superior. He called the demigods kiddish. <laughs> Obviously he's not one of them. By his own actions and by his own deeds and uh, by this great tolerance and sobriety that he showed. He's of a different kind. Rambu, did you have your hand up? One sec-
3: Shiva Shiva in in a in a big way deserves our honour because he's a pure devotee of Krishna no as we, we you know he's really a devotee so in that sense if we instead of worshiping him, his god himself um, i think it's appropriate as vaishnavas to give One him of the
2: mahajanas yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, Bharg maharaj right worship the demigods appropriately as angas of the mm-hmm. lord right yes yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. also uh, we we studied recently right about um no, did we study, or did I read it recently? Shiva and uh, Parvati and Chitra Ketu? Mm. He was quite sober. I mean, he's. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we don't recommend that generally to have your wife uh, sitting on your lap as you're giving the Gita class. <laughs> it's not, it's not. But so only he can get away with something like that. <laughs> yeah, mama.
1: Um, Pro, I don't know where I heard uh, from Vishmarash, but he was saying. When viewed from Jiva tattva point, Lord Shiva uh, appears to be as Vishnu Tattva, and from Vishnu Tattva's view, he appears to be as Jiva Tattva. I, don't, I
0: haven't heard that. Did you know that? hear that? I no.
2: that.
0: We do say, don't we say that there's...
2: Tattva, I mean Shiva Tattva we can say.
0: Yeah. Don't we say that there's, is there three things that are inconceivable? One is... Shiva is one of them. Shiva tattva, Guru Tattva? And what's <laughs> we, we, we experienced that a lot in ISKCON. And what's the third one?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't remember.
0: Anyone I remember. Yeah, there's three. I'll, I'll probably remember it in a minute. Jiva Tattva. His name is Jiva Tattva.
5: <laughs> Hare Krishna. Maybe that's
0: the third one. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so yes, uh, Shiva Tattva is also inconceivable because Shastas say that it's Vishnu in contact with Maya. And Vishnu is never in contact with Maya, so it's inconceivable for us to even think that Shivatva is Vishnu in contact with Maya. But it does raise one interesting aspect that he is not one of the energies. He is you know part of the Purusha as well. The enjoyer. And he has energy, his Durga Kali, accompanying him. Which makes it even more inconceivable for us to even perceive like it's beyond our capability to even understand. But at the same time we hear Vaishnavam Yathashambu. Nam Yatashambu means he's the topmost Vaishnava. And he has his That's own the... sampradaya.
0: He's got his own sampradaya Very good. Yes, also, uh, the example is given of yogurt and milk. Mm, yes. Right. You know that? Everyone familiar with that? Yeah, that's the difference. They're very similar. Let's carry on. Text 31. He, in uh, Lord Shiva, says, I shall now chant one mantra which is not only transcendental, pure, and auspicious, but is the best prayer for anyone who is aspiring to attain the ultimate goal of life. When I chant this mantra, please hear it carefully. And attentively, you can imagine if Lord Shiva told you that, you'd perk your ears. Right? The great sage Maitreya continued, out of his causeless mercy, the exalted personality Lord Shiva, a great devotee of Lord Narayan, continued to speak to the king's sons who were standing with folded hands. Lord Shiva addressed the Supreme Personality of Godhead with the following prayer. O Supreme Personality of God, all glories to you. You are the most exalted of all self-realized souls, since you are always auspicious for the self-realized, I wish that you be auspicious for me. You are worshipable by virtue of the all-perfect instructions you give. You are the super-soul, therefore I offer my obeisances unto you as the supreme living being. So this is the beginning of the Rudra-gita. Um, text 34. My Lord, you are the origin of the... So this is... Remember, he's going to now talk about um, Sankarshan praduna, Aniruddha... Uh, vasudev, Sankarshan Aniruddha praduna. Uh, you are the original creation um, by virtue of the lotus flower which sprouts from your navel. You are the supreme controller of the senses and the sense objects. And you are also the all-pervading Vasudeva. You are most peaceful, and because of your self-illuminated existence, you are not disturbed by the six kinds of transformations. What are the six kinds of transformations? Bert? Go ahead, uh, Nandamuki. Created. Grows. It maintains?
3: It maintains for some time and then it uh, gets deteriorated and then it
0: produces byproducts. Byproducts, And yes. then it vanishes. Very good. Excellent. My dear Lord, you are the origin of the subtle material ingredients and the master of all integration as well as the master of all disintegration. Isn't that interesting? Integration. The predominating deity named Sankrishna and the master of all intelligence known as a predominating deity Pradumna, Therefore, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. My lord, as the supreme directing deity known as Aniruddha, you are the master of the senses and the mind. I therefore offer my obeisances unto you again and again. You are known as Ananta as well as Sankarshan because of your ability to destroy the whole creation by the blazing fire from your mouth. So um, the purport begins by saying, the mind is the director of the senses and Lord Aniruddha is a director of the mind. In order to execute devotional service, one has to fix his mind on the lotus feet of Krishna. Therefore, Lord Shiva prays to the controller of the mind, Lord Aniruddha, to be pleased to help him engage his mind in the lotus feet of the Lord. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the mind. And then I'll I'll say a few things, then Maharaj will comment. Um, it's, it's, It's just, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's good to be reminded. So, you know, the mind intelligence and false ego, the mind is the grossest, right, of, of the three. Um, and and as we've said before, the mind is subordinate to the false ego, and the mind, we could say, protects the false ego, right? We have a false conception of who we are, and the mind accepts and rejects according to what, um, you could say, uh, reinforces who we think we are, and the, and the... And therefore, who we think we are, we think this will give us pleasure, this will give us displeasure, and so we accept and reject. So, in in, um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his uh, Keno Hare Krishna Nam, he calls um, this self-conception, the um, maner manus, the mentally imagined man, the false sense of ourself. And Prabhupada, in uh, the sixth canto, the 17th chapter, he talks about this dualistic function of the mind, right? He says that uh, the distinction between happiness and distress in the material world with duality are simply mental concoctions. For the so-called happiness and distress are actually one and the same. Isn't that interesting? Tell that to your average person on the street. Happiness and distress are actually mental concoctions. They're one and the same. They are like the happiness and distress in dreams. A sleeping man creates his happiness and distress by dreaming, though actually they have no existence. The mind is the via medium in both dreams and wakefulness, and everything created by the mind in terms of sankalpa and vikalpa, which means acceptance and rejection, is called manodharma, or mental concoction. So then let's just go on to a little bit about the Advanti Brahmana, okay? in the 11th canto, uh, 23rd chapter, so you, I think mo- many of us know the story of the Avanti Brahmana just very briefly. He was like, maha miser. He, you know, it's it's just like he was like the uh, if a temple president had a, the ideal um, treasurer, he would be it because mo- money only came in; it didn't go out. <laughs> right. So he didn't even spend on himself, and he didn't spend on his kids, and he he was just made money and and didn't and. Uh, but gradually his, his fortunes uh, uh, went away and his family therefore just totally rejected him and he basically uh, ended up on the streets and people, were, you know, uh, you know, people would pass urine on him and, and pass air, you know, call them bad names. He was just really um, struggling in that sense. So, um, so the idea is that as long as... So here's what he says. He says, These people are not the cause of my happiness and distress. I try to convince ourselves of that when we think someone is giving us a hard time. The Avanti Brahmana uh no, neither the demigods, my own body, the planets, my past work or time are the cause of my happiness, and distress. Rather it is the mind alone that causes happiness and distress and perpetuates the rotation of material life. So it's so important that we, you know, detach ourselves from the minds wanting and hating. Right, the, the Avanti Brahman, he goes, he goes on, he says, All the senses have been under the control of the mind since time immemorial, and the mind himself never comes under the sway of any other. The mind is stronger than the strongest, and his godlike power is fearsome. Therefore, anyone who can bring the mind under control becomes the master of all the senses. And he continues, Failing to conquer this irrepressible, enemy, the mind, whose urges are intolerable and who torments the heart. Many people are completely bewildered and create useless quarrel with others. Thus they conclude that other people are either their friends, their enemies, or parties indifferent to them. So here he's saying that the mind is the only source of happiness and distress. And as hard as it is to believe other people are not the cause of our pleasure and displeasure. And then he concludes with, obviously, as Maharaj's sannyasi knows this verse very well, that, so what is what is his conclusion? In text, uh, famous verse 11, 23, 57, I shall cross over the insurmountable ocean of nescience, which mainly caused by the mind, by being firmly fixed in the service of the lotus feet of Krishna. This was approved by the previous acharyas, who were fixed in the firm, firm devotion to the Lord Parmatma, the personality of Godhead. So they're so powerful. That's his realization after going through his life because he had some piety that the only problem is the mind. And then if you think the mind is a problem, the false ego is even more so. Some thoughts, Maharaj. (laughs) (coughs)
2: Yeah. Um, You summarized it very nicely. You can speak volumes about this topic. Uh, It's maybe a favorite topic of mine. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, Please. The point is that you said, summarizing what you said, you said that our reality is a mental reality. Mm. We all live in a reality created, interpreted by the mind to us. And wallowing around in that reality is what Avanti Brahmana is speaking about. It gives you great pain, gives pain to the heart. He uses the word... Amananti samsara chakram That mind is the supreme cause of this samsara existence and these experiences that we get. And nayam uh, janome This thing is not given to me by these people, they are only instruments. And that is being interpreted by my mind. And I am invested in my mind. And for me, my mind makes my reality. And therefore, I am suffering it. Mm. Therefore, I am suffering it. But Krishna speaks greatly of the Avanti Brahmana to Uddhava and says that this person, he understood this. Mm. the Avanti Brahmana understood this and he overcame. He just crossed over etam chastaya Paratmashtam. Uh, by consistently remembering my Lord's feet and remembering me. It is a very wonderful uh, story actually. How to overcome... Uh, our false reality that we live in and we take very seriously. There's another reality which is actually the reality which we are not able to access and in that situation we are actually so ignorant about ourselves forget the reality we are so ignorant about ourselves about Krishna about the world even the reality that we perceive in the world the material so called material reality is not true. It's reality interpreted to you. So you don't even see material reality properly, which Prabhupada explains as nominal and phenomenal in the Bhagavad Gita. You don't even see the material reality properly. So we live in a mental world and we interact <coughs> using each other's mental worlds. Uh, you can, It would be doubly complexing. Uh, it would be doubly complicated to have your mental reality uh, discussed with mine And sometimes they are commonly the same because we are equally illusioned. (laughs) Similarly (laughs) illusioned, I should say. And then we are uh, inside that reality and not able to access the real reality. I mean, the reality itself. So that's where he's saying that uh, Krishna has been very merciful to me by helping me to crack this. How? Because all these miseries I went through, people urinating on me, passing air on me, and that lady dumping uh, garbage on me, and they're stealing away my Kamandalu, my rod, my everything giving me hell. I didn't react to it. And Krishna has put me through this. He has put me through this experience so that I'll renounce and cross over this samsara. It's a beautiful shloka that says that I'll get into the boat of detachment and crossover. So this misery is a mercy of mercy of the Lord on me. So uh you spoke about false ego. Intelligence is also playing a very good role in making you capable of understanding this and acting intelligently. So Krishna speaks about the Vavanti Brahmana as being very intelligent. To able to be able to recognize that the mind is taking him for a ride. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was able to be intelligent enough because he knows the shastra, he's a devotee, he knows the truth. And so he doesn't take the mind's interpretations very seriously. Doesn't get, uh, he doesn't become a victim of the mind's proposals. So you see the mind has got an amazing ability to mundanize everything including <laughs> the spiritual <laughs> concepts that you're given. It's an <laughs> infinite capacity to mundanize. That's the amazing thing. Everything we map and understand. The fact that I am speaking that the mind is like this is also through the mind. <laughs> it's one inside the other. I mean, you are held. That the fact that you think that the mind is like this and the mind has to be controlled is also a function of the mind. So it's a very deep trap. It's not, it's not so easy. Only Krishna can relieve you. That's mm-hmm. Avandi Brahmana's statement. If only Krishna can relieve you by devotional service and by Krishna's mercy. That's why devotee's mercy, that's why Lord Shiva's mercy on the prachetas is so valuable. Uh, Only they can crack open this. Otherwise we are in deep trouble actually, in terms (laughs) of the mind. (laughs) We don't even know how how much that what we think and feel and will and do is real. It's, you know, amazing. But we continue to live the life. We go on taking things seriously. He said this to me. I think this of him and that. Actually, like you mentioned, Yei bhalo, yei manda, sabai mm. This is good, that is bad, is all mental concoction. Prahlad also told his father, in don't think Vishnu is your enemy. It's your mind which is your greatest enemy. It's making you think that Vishnu is your enemy. He's not your enemy. He's not your enemy. It's amazing. We function like this all the time. We, we may even be able to quote these things, but we are back, <laughs> default, wired, uh, Hardwired to go as per the mental dictations. This is something we can reflect on. It's a piece of <laughs> something I think is very important.
0: Some thoughts? Is this coming from your mind or your intelligence? <laughs> or? <laughs>
2: uh,
0: can we get his mind a microphone, please?
2: <laughs> Just give him a mental microphone.
0: <laughs> I think I don't think it's on. We have a. Um...
4: So, interestingly, in Canto Three, it said. Uh, mind is uh, is created through the mode of goodness and but at the same time we see the mind going through and doing all these kinds of different pullings and distractions uh, which I found to be very ironical because if it's to be it's created from the mode of goodness it should be conducive to cultivating uh, relationship with the supreme lord in a easier manner but mind typically in a conditioned living being, it does the exact opposite. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, mind can be the best friend or mind can be the worst enemy as well. So in… at least in my case, mind is a worst enemy and I should move towards the direction where it can be my best friend.
2: Well… can I… can I respond to that? Of course. Uh, Goodness is not something really very good. (laughs) I'll tell you, even Bhagavad Gita says that if you're in the mode of goodness, you worship demigods. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about that. So goodness is… demigods worship means that you are very materialistic. You've forgotten Krishna, you don't really bother about yourself much, and you can be in the mode of goodness, right? So just because the mind is produced from the mode of goodness doesn't mean that it's going to give you the absolute truth transcending all the modes… But we are talking about, Bhagavatam is talking about beyond the modes, fixing your mind on Krishna. That's of a different category. Goodness is just the best of the three modes. But it doesn't essentially mean goodness can reach out to the uh, absolute good transcendentally. It doesn't.
1: In a
4: sense, like we are encouraged to come to the platform of goodness because that is the jumping point to attain that transcendence. So in that sense, Mind can help to reach the transcendence that you are talking about. You
2: can transcend matter. That's the transcendence. Immediately you can become free from the springboard of goodness.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: What we are talking about, if you take a graph, I mean, I, I illustrate this. Uh, if you have a graph, you know, the x-axis and y-axis, the zero-zero coordinate is transcendence. Mm. Below that you have the minus y and you go through all sorts of things and just about make it, become free from the modes and become free from matter is zero-zero, Brahman. But beyond that, is a whole lot, madbaktim lavate param. After that, you can actually go to the stage of, you know, the brajavasis and gopis and uh, uh, which is what we are being told by uh, Lord Chaitanya's, you know, that's what we have been told by Lord Chaitanya's instructions. Mm-hmm. So when we are speaking about pure devotional service and chanting of the holy name, I think it belongs to a completely different class and category uh, than just transcendence. Yes. We are not speaking about plain vanilla transcendence uh, uh, in the terms of getting mukti and brahman. And uh, I think that uh, quite often uh, we are being shown a very lofty position. And we may not be fit enough to sometimes even realize or understand it. <laughs> and we may confuse transcendence and mukti with uh, certain things to do, being in the sattva platform and etc., etc. Those are all byproducts of. Uh, plenty of byproducts in devotional service. But we don't need to be just good. We are aiming for the best, aiming for the rhinoceros.
0: Was your question also about uh, why intelligence is passion and mind isn't goodness? I can read something about that. This is from that Japa book by Buri Prabhu. It says, um, Srimad Bhagavatam tells us that the mind is a transformation of egoism and goodness. We know that, right, from chapter 26. Intelligence is a transformation of egotism and passion. The intelligence, which is passionate by nature, serves the subtle false self by making plans to satisfy the mind's fluctuations between these two polarities. It may be surprising to think of the mind as influenced by goodness and intelligence by passion, because we usually consider the intelligence higher than the mind and goodness higher than passion. But the intelligence is constantly scheming for the future and reframing the past, both functions of Rajagun. We experience the reality of the interaction between the mind and intelligence every day. In Srimad Bhagavatam, 11th Canto, chapter 13, Lord Krishna explains the interaction between the false ego mind and intelligence to Uddhava in slightly different language. My dear Uddhava, a person bereft of intelligence first falsely identifies himself with the material body and mind, and when such false knowledge arises within one's consciousness, material passion, the cause of great suffering, pervades the mind, which by nature is situated in goodness. Then the mind, contaminated by passion, Becomes absorbed in making and changing many plans for material advancement. Thus, by constantly thinking of the modes of material nature, a foolish person is afflicted with unbearable material desires. Mm. Yikes! (laughs) (laughs) What a quicksand mess we're in, Maraj. He's
2: saying it's uh, by the influence of the intelligence, the mind becomes passionate. Yeah. That's
6: uh, uh, the key. That's what, yeah, Christian's telling Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Any other thoughts on the
0: mind? Yes, Andy? What is your
6: mind telling you? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> I think this whole talking about intelligence is very confusing to somebody like me because do they really have a word intelligence in Sanskrit? Wasn't it all really mind, different kinds of mind? And th- when you use the word intelligence, we have a the Western idea of intelligence just like a ruler to see how good your mind is at working with external stimuli, figuring out things, right? And So this intelligence makes it very in- confusing. Isn't it really just another kind of mind what they're translating as intelligence?
2: Interesting. In one place in the Gita, it in says intelligence is deliberation of the mind.
6: Hmm. There's that Deep mind, the cheat, right? The, That's the cheat consciousness. Right. Yeah, but isn't that a kind of mind too? It's very confusing to st- uh,
2: I think it's one inside the other like a telescopic aerial that you pull out from a transistor or something that you're using for communication. Um, And uh, for everything that we do, even through the false ego, the intelligence, everything, it all goes through the mind and processing is all done. All of them are involved. I don't know how to put it across, but that's my personal understanding. So it's not that you function only mentally without the intelligence and the false ego, etc. The soul is experiencing all these things through its tools of the mind, intelligence and body and false ego and everything. So it's all aligned. When you're thinking, all of them are working. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to put it across, but it's oh, nice. something like uh, that. That's nice. It's not that you're independently thinking and the intelligence is sleeping, the false ego is dead and you're you know, self-realized and flying or something like that they are all aligned. Uh, they all work together like a cog, uh, each one cog to the other and they turn together, maybe at different speeds and different type of this uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, Mahamantra?
1: Um Bhakti Vinodakur addresses this uh, as an equation in Bhakti Loka. In a what? Bhakti Loka. No, 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 before that, An e- equation. equation.
2: An equation.
1: No. Oh. Like, the soul, the spirit soul, was in the spiritual world doing spiritual things there, where there was harmony and bliss. But then desiring to enjoy separately, uh, it came to the material world. So the equation he was talking about was spiritual, the spirit soul directing the intelligence and then intelligence directing the mind and mind directing the senses. In the so for the service of Krishna, but here the equation is reversed; like it's going the opposite direction. Senses contemplating in the with the sense objects, and then mind proposing, then intelligence giving plans to do the opposite. So, like Maharaj said, everything is involved in both. <laughs> uh-huh. But for what is the goal? Where I mean, envisioning. Uh, depending on that, the equation changes like so, in devotional surveys, it's the intelligence directing the mind versus the other. So, Yeah, so following up that, Mara, is it, is it
0: too simplistic to say, because I've, you know, when people would ask me, you know, over the last decades, you know, the difference, I would say something like, you know, the mind says, go smoke that cigarette, and the intelligence says that'll really be bad for your health. And the mind might say, well, I don't care, I just want more cigarette, you know, or whatever. But that, that is that is that a, it's too simplistic or is that kind of an example of the two working together?
2: Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita, I think, in 3.4, Kapila, Devahuti, give a more technical definition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, intelligence is superior to the mind is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita. Indriyani paraniyahu, indriye beparamanamanasas, subtler and more powerful. Uh, and intelligence is having. What he called six elements of factors: apprehension, misapprehension, discrimination, doubt, sleep, and memory. This is what make intelligence.
0: And you remembered all that. So that must you uh, intelligent? Because
2: <laughs> I'm constantly trying to be intelligent. <laughs> uh, so these six described by Kapila to Mother devahuti So if you look at these things, uh, sleep and memory apprehension, misapprehension, discrimination, doubts, and all that together. All these are understood by function. Intelligence and mind are understood by function, uh-huh. not by, you don't have a physiological space for them inside your body. You cut open, you're not going to see the mind and the you know, intelligence. But they are understood by function. So a subtle body functions uh, when it comes to sankalpa vikalpa acceptance, rejections, and floating round thoughts and all that. You know you're mentally active. Consciousness mm-hmm. is focused on that and that's happening. Predominantly your mind is operating. Then you're sometimes, you're sitting and writing an exam, you're you know, dredging your memory and trying to remember things and everything. You know, intelligence is functioning predominantly. For those students who are sitting and writing the exam, that doesn't mean the mind is not functioning. Without the mind you can't actually be doing the intelligent activity of dredging your memory. Sure. Right? So that that's the way I see it. It's one... Uh, f- subtle body and uh, prominent function coming at that time you'll see by function, is mind operating, it's intelligence operating. It's scary that's that... The way I'm, I've sort of understood from my readings, I don't know, maybe a speculation. No, that's helpful.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's scary that we have to carry our mind with us to the next life.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, Ramburu, Mataji. Two things we haven't mentioned that I think
3: are probably part of this conversation, is association and desire. Because we might, um, we associate with devotees because it, it, it helps us desire and increase our uh, desire to serve Krishna. Uh, when we associate with non-devotees, uh, we may have a new desire. And um, so once, it, you may have a desire and to serve Krishna, but the mind may say, well, I'd like I don't really want to serve Krishna. But if, you're, if you have a sincere desire, the intelligence will also give you some information if there's, a, if there's a desire that, well, okay, you've got a choice to do this or that. If you do that, this is the consequence. If you don't, this is the... I mean, there's kind of this conversation, perhaps on the level of witness, uh, as you are contemplating that. But I, I just think it really, just, it really starts with desiring um, to activate those other hmm. pieces and and those desires are emerging out of the kind of association with the modes of material nature that you're um you know rubbing around with Prabhupada said that too so just thank you
2: anything else
0: on this point okay prabhu one and then two Go ahead.
2: just a question Mataji. so did you say remember uh, so did you say you made a very interesting point i just want to ask you did you say uh, desire is more foundational and fundamental.
3: I don't remember saying it exactly like that.
2: You said that from desire, you know, influence of the mind and then action and everything happens.
3: Well, he, he, so by association... So more
2: foundational and fundamental. Desire is most foundational
3: fundamental. Maybe. I don't know if I use that word fundamental, but it, it yeah. seems to be it starts with... For, for, by the way we associate with modes of nature, various desires... Uh, emerge through the mind, or you get suggestions that come in the mind, and um, then there's a choice that has to be made. The intelligence may give you intelligence how to fulfill, fulfill those desires or not. Uh, uh, it just seems like it to me how it kind of works. Any
0: thoughts on that, Marge? Should we go on? Yes,
7: actually. Um, I would like to thank everyone because. Um, I'm so ignorant. Like it was a profound conversation, and I understand very little. Um, and it's a good discussion, uh, but like uh, I feel that like again, a couple of things is everything is in the bodily platform. Like as Maharaj mentioned, like zero is the uh, place where like uh, that's the uh, ultimate uh, uh, transcendence platform. Uh, everything is under like you know bodily platform, the mind and intelligence. Uh, so uh, the the mind has been designed in such a way to protect this body like you know just to uh, serve this body and it's always trying to protect it and intelligence is the key that it provides the information how to protect the body and when we talk about transcendence is it something that like um, we we should basically ignore it means ignore or like you know forget about this bodily platform and move forward or holding lotus feet of Krishna we can move forward um, is, is it my understanding correct? And as well as Mataji mentioned desire. Desire is coming from senses. Because of the sense urges, desire comes in. So it's again reverse, it it, it confused me a little bit. Uh, so, you know, please help me on this.
0: Help him on that, Maharaj. Do
4: you
1: want
0: to say something? <laughs> oh, no no. no, no. No, go ahead, no, no, because he'll say something separate, so you should. Are you are you pl- replying to Shakshi Gopal?
5: Yeah. Please, Maharaj. No, no, go ahead. I want to hear you. Hare Krishna. So in my research, I found the answer to be in biology to be very specifically in neuroscience. There are three parts of the brain. The first one is R-complex. R stands for reptilian. So reptilian is basically eat, sleep may defend those particular very primitive emotions. And we have an R-complex part, which is, you know, same as those reptiles as we find. Then comes the animals and other beings and they have limbical which is feelings and then on top of that we have neocortex. Limbical is all about feelings you know you feel good, you feel bad, you feel hurt you capture all those feelings in the limbical part of the brain and then comes the neocortex which is where you understand language which is your area for logic, your intelligence. Uh, In Bhagavad Gita Lord Krishna identifies what's the sitting place of mind? You know, and the senses and mind and so forth. So again, that's very clearly identified. So when you look at it from a biology perspective, as how our brain is designed, we actually see that the neocortex has no capability of understanding feelings. So you may put a perfect logic, but you may not have the other person, you know, bought into your program because he is not feeling. Sometimes people say, my heart is not into it. I understand you perfectly, but my heart is not into it, so I cannot engage with you. And that's about feelings, that's not about logic or language. And mind is actually you know, capturing all this exception and rejection, the manodharma, the position of a mind, the dharma of a mind is to accept and reject, based on how you are feeling, which is the limbical region, which is the you know, inner part of the brain. And if you look from the perspective that mind is only capturing what the senses are giving us, right? And when the senses are giving us, that's available for intelligence to interpret, how it wants to serve the false ego. And intelligence is protecting false egos, so it tries to go in that direction. Now intelligence, when it gets the right shelter, the association is a big thing. So if you associate with your senses, which are associated with the sense objects, you are in the downward direction, and the reverse cycle, like Mahamudra Prabhu said, goes on. However, if you get the right shelter, you get the right association, then you realign and understand what is good for you. And that's why in the mode of goodness said that what looks difficult in the beginning, like even for the food or or like happiness and other things, what is difficult in the beginning becomes amrit, right? It's nectarian afterwards. While in passion, it appears amrit, it appears nice, but afterwards it's poisonous. And similarly, but in the mode of ignorance, it's bad from the beginning till the end. Thank you. That's just a summary of what I understand
0: any comments? Okay. So let's move on. We have a few minutes left. And uh, let's at least do the next verse. <laughs> um, my Lord, oh, so remember this is still kind of um, in glorification of the chapter um, My Lord, O oh, Aniruddha, you are the authority by which the doors of the higher planetary systems and liberation are opened. You are always within the pure heart of the living entity. Therefore, I offer my obeisances unto you. You are the possessor of semen, which is like gold, and thus, in the form of fire, you help the Vedic sacrifices, beginning with the Chaturhotra. Therefore, I offer my obeisances unto you. My Lord, you are the provider of the Pitri Lokas as well as all the demigods. You are the predominating deity of the moon and the master of all three Vedas. I offer my respectful obeisances unto you, because you are the original source of satisfaction of all living entities." My dear Lord, you are the gigantic universal form which contains all the individual bodies of the living entities. You are the maintainer of the three worlds, and as such you maintain the mind, senses, body, and air of life within them. I therefore offer my obeis- respectful obeisances unto you. My dear Lord, by expanding your transcendental vibrations, you reveal the actual meaning of everything. You are the all-pervading sky within and without, without, and you are the ultimate goal of pious activities executed both within this material world and beyond it. I therefore offer my respectful obeisances again and again unto you. Text 41. My dear Lord, you are the viewer of the results of pious activities. You are inclination, disinclination, and the resultant activities. You are the cause of the miserable conditions of life caused by irreligion, and therefore, you are death. I offer my respectful obeisances. Jai sisi, sitaram, Lakshmananama. shishi, radhamadham, Kijai. And I thought this was interesting and something to talk about briefly. Prabhupada writes in the purport that although the asuras oppose devotional service, it is to be understood that they are inclined that way due to the Supreme Personality of Godhead.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Because Because the asuras do not like to engage in the Lord's devotional service, the Lord within gives them the intelligence to forget. Yeah, back to well, she just left it on Rambaru's point about desire. What is it? The self-fulfilling philosopher who's been filling desires of everyone since time immemorial, Upanishad? Hmm. Mm. So, some thoughts on this: Mars, like uh, Krishna gives atheists the intelligence to come up with their theories. The, uh, Asuras, they wouldn't like to hear the Asuras, that. Asuras
2: are uh, normally described as those who are. Asuras tad viparyaya. They always are against the Lord's instructions and his uh, you know so that's their desire so they get those type of facilitation that type of facilitation from the Lord mm. in other words that's why he says the uh, even what the demons are able to perform that energy is coming from the Lord only Hirenika Shibu says, says uh, who is giving you the strength and the energy to oppose me And Prahlad says, the same person who is giving you the energy is also giving me. Mm. So that's interesting that if, so desire is the root cause. According to your desire, Krishna will facilitate you. So it's, it's so much to do with us. The responsibility shifts so much on us. Uh To desire for pure devotional service, to desire to serve Krishna deeply from inside you, your own personal volition. And that's how bhakti emerges. Uh, just a thought as you're speaking about it. Uh, Bhakti Nautakur said that if you harbor material desires and chant Hare Krishna, they'll become fulfilled. Ouch! they become fulfilled. That's why many times I'm so successful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Prabhu? Yes,
1: So, um, where does the desire come from? <laughs>
0: Now we're getting existential.
2: (laughs) Where does the desire come from? Very good question. Our vritti, and where does that come from?
7: (laughs) Previous desires. It's on. Probably just the disciplines of our lives, what we choose to pursue, It's kind of like a cycle.
2: So we have no control over our desires? We are hopelessly pushed by our desires and we have no control over our desires? It feels like that sometimes, Maharaj.
0: (laughs) It feels like that
2: sometimes. So, Mataji made a point that desires rise out of association. Karanam gunasangasya sadasat yonijanmashu. The reason is association with the gunas. uh, That's what Mataji mentioned. Mm -hmm. So can you put the blame of our desires on the gunas? I wish I could. <laughs> it's all the gunas. I'm a nice guy, actually. It's all the gunas. Uh, so the point here is, do we take responsibility for our desires? Are we taking ownership of our desires? Are we creating our desires? Or is the desire something separate from me? Where are they generated? How are they generated? Who's responsible? I think that's a moot question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dissoning uh, disowning our own desire. You
0: have something on this point?
2: Yeah, I was going to say our uh, past impressions like sanskars. Um, like I've read that we've all been born millions of times and we've done everything there is to be done, but we're still not satisfied. Uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita states that Krishna Bhuliya Bhogavanchakare. That's the original desire. Adi desire from there. All these other things start as what I have understood as I mean. Uh, immediate desires are one thing. They are a consequence of the foundational forgetfulness of mm-hmm. Krishna, which is our original desire. Yes. Just like Adi Rasa Prabhupada says. <coughs> we've originally given up that and from then onwards it's all a matter of detail. Mm-hmm. The foundational desire is to do something like Krishna and be Krishna. And that's what the whole world is created. uh, It's mentioned that the creation's variety is according to the sum total of the desires of all the living entities in each universe. It's designed by Brahma according to that. The false ego, sum total of the false ego comes from the sum total of the desires of the living entities and what everybody needs for their satisfaction. That's how creation starts. So we are the reason for the creation. Wow. (laughs) We're God. Some thoughts on that. I mean, yes.
0: So we have time has run out. Um, we want to especially thank His Holiness Bhakti Nod Maharaj. He'll be here giving uh, the Sunday open house talk at 1 o'clock. So please stay for that. Um, we have the Japa session now and then Arty. And just so you can prepare your life uh, or uh, your schedule, we will have class next week. But then the three weeks after that, three Sundays in a row after that, I'll be in India. So there's a little chuti.